Welcome to the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan, and this podcast is all about helping men to become unstuck in their lives and inspire and encourage them to move forward towards a life of strength, confidence, and inner fulfillment. So without further ado, here is today's episode. I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the Modern Warrior podcast. This is episode number 30. And today I'm very excited to have Dr. Taylor Burrows with me. And she is a retired mental health counselor and specializes in marriage, couples and family therapy with over 14 years experience. So I can't wait to have this conversation with her and have her share tons of value with all you men out there. Taylor, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. I'm excited to get to know you and be on your podcast. So thanks for inviting me. Delighted to have you here. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. We've had this booked in for a couple of months, I believe. So it's great that it's finally happening. And uh, yeah, so how is life? You're based in the States, I believe. Yes, I'm in Arizona. So we, Dennis and I, my boyfriend and I, we were kind of traveling a bit. So we are digital nomads, <laughs> theoretically, but we're stabilized right here in Arizona where his family is. So when things change, we can go off and travel as we want and work on the road. Brilliant, brilliant. Living the dream. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, in terms of today's topics, I think, especially over the last year, I have seen from working with a lot of men, that many of them have been struggling perhaps more so than ever in their relationships with their wives, with their partners. There's been a lot of challenges with COVID, with lockdown that have had a ripple effect onto, onto couples and relationships. And I want to talk to you today about some of those big challenges that men in particular face when it comes to relationships and marriages. And I myself had had many struggles in that department too. So I too will take much value from this. And in your own experience over recent times, what do you feel has been the biggest challenges in relationships in recent times? There's been a lot of conflict emerging, right? A lot of people lack the skills to manage conflict, resolve conflict, but even just see conflict in a healthy way, right? Most people just assume confrontation and conflict is all negative, but it's not. Like you have to be able to learn how to confront difficult issues to be in a healthy relationship, especially one that lasts a lifetime and all of life's ups and downs. So most people, I I would say most people lack those skills. They weren't, you know, modeled them when they were young in their families of origin. And we don't see a lot of examples of healthy conflict resolution. And um, it this kind of plays out most recently. I'm having a lot of cases of like the stereotypical nag and withdraw dynamic that happens in relationships. So I've been addressing that a bit. I don't know if you've, you know what I'm talking about, this nag withdraw. Yeah. So yeah. typically what happens is like the woman will get the blame for being the nag because she's nitpicking about getting things done or the man doing things, um, you know, whatever tasks that she asks of him and he's dropping the ball. And so then he kind of withdraws and he becomes passive and she just gets more and more irritated and angry 
And this can just sort of snowball into a really bad uh, state, right? And you don't ever fix the problem because you focus on the little things that you're arguing about in the moment, but you're not seeing the greater issue, which is the, the sort of dynamic that you're creating. Um, and it's based on a lot of you know, more meta principles that need to get uh, addressed. But the thing that I want to sort of impart to your audience that might be helpful is a different way of looking at this because there's two examples, right? There's the nag, if you want to imagine the world's most miserable, maybe she's beautiful and, and you adore her in one way, but you know she's just so hard to deal with. She's really miserable in her temperament. And she's always micromanaging. She always wants things done her way. She lacks patience. Um, she hovers, you know, she doesn't give you the autonomy to do things on your own terms. Like that's the nag, quote unquote, right? Um, but that's, that's different. So I would say the blame for, for that goes to the woman, right? Because that's her temperament. She doesn't really know how to be interdependent with her partner and doesn't know how to give him it's not even like she needs to give it to him, but she needs to respect that he's his own man and he has power and autonomy and can make his own decisions and she's not there to hover and control him. Um, but what happens a lot is that men in another scenario, um, they're dealing with a healthy woman who's sweet and considerate and, and you know she is of service to him, but he does, this man drops the ball and he kind of slacks and starts to fail as a partner and husband, like he um, neglects his responsibility to the relationship. And so then this healthy woman over time, if this is chronic, she then starts nagging him because there's really nothing else. There's no other outcome there. Like she has to pick up his slack and she's going to get resentful and it's going to seep out, right? It's going to sort of leak out into her communication with him. And then he withdraws because he doesn't want to deal with it. And um, he feels resentful. So those are two different examples. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So yeah. <laughs> beneath it all, though, do you feel that there are, as you mentioned there, there, there's a broader picture, but perhaps what's been happening here is that there is uh, there, there are parts of the relationship or parts of the man or the woman that are being ignored in terms of their needs, their wants, their desires, and that keeping the house clean or doing your duties around the house or these expectations that perhaps a woman has in a man and gets angry about it, it's not that issue. It's the fact that there is a neglection of, of needs or desires there. And again, this could be, I'm not saying that the, the, that the woman is angry, but maybe it's the man that's actually angry and he's being passive in terms of not showing up and not doing the duties and not adhering to her her wants and it's his way of communicating his anger in terms of here i'm not giving you what you want because you're not giving me what i want but at the same time he struggles to express himself he he struggles to express his needs his desires his wants because again i feel for a man it's it's one of their biggest struggles. It's something I struggle massively with in terms of what do I want? What do I need in this relationship? What is it that I'm lacking? And how do I ask for it? Or should I ask for it? Do I deserve it? Is it am I com coming across too needy? So I think this is a massive struggle a lot of guys have, and perhaps it's their own ego and masculinity 
their pride that that holds them back and and therefore yeah without that clear communication or without expressing their desires or wants or needs it can never be resolved yeah well i think the the passive part it's passive aggressive really right so it's it, you appear passive because you're withdrawn but underneath it all you're stewing and you're angry and you may misdirect that anger towards your partner right you're whether you're married or not your spouse or your girlfriend and it is about something internal that's it's insecure right like it's coming from like not being happy um not feeling like you have your own voice or maybe not really knowing what you want like you said so i do think that's true but i just i really want to emphasize that most people will just blame it on a nagging woman uh, but there are two types so um, they're both an example of an unhappy person deflecting the responsibility and taking for granted their partner. In mm. one, it's the woman's problems internally that she's taking for granted a man in her life and mistreating him disrespectfully, right? And then in the other, it's something going on with the man that he's not really happy. He's not really fulfilled. He's not in a place of strength, right? And so he then has this passive aggressive uh, tendency in order to lash out and blame the woman uh, for her nagging. <laughs> like all of a sudden it becomes about that, right? So you wanna make sure you know and you're self-aware, like you said, of what scenario you might be in if that's your biggest complaint. And when you think about it, um, you know, like communication is really important and being able to identify what is important to you. But, um, I don't know. I think people have a hard time expressing what they want because they're thinking that they're asking for a favor, you know, like it's some, some sacrifice, some major sacrifice that the other person has to give and they're embarrassed or they feel untitled, non, not entitled to those needs being met. But if you reframe it to the relationship's needs, I find that that's really helpful. So that's how I uh, articulate it to my clients. So there, are, you don't meet another person's personal needs, right? Other, other than sex, really. Sex is the only need that we have that we have to be um, given by our partner. But in general, like our happiness, our health, all of those things, we meet ourselves. We have to be whole and healthy, secure individuals coming into a relationship, or even if we're not all the way there, at least we're on track and we're doing it for ourselves. But there are needs that we need to fulfill for the relationship itself to be successful and healthy. And so recognizing that you're not doing somebody else a favor, you're, re you're really doing yourself your own favors by contributing all this effort and time and attention into the relationship because it benefits you in the, in the long run anyway. Mm -hmm. And you feel that that's a matter of stepping back from the relationship and acknowledging your own struggles and your own anger and your own issues and you know building your self-awareness from there or do you feel like this is something that should be somewhat communicated within the relationship somehow what's the first step do you feel to to move beyond that does it reflect on yourself or is it go and reflect on it together or is it a bit of both it is both like it always starts with self-awareness right and so when you lack that you do have to prioritize your own self-awareness and connecting with yourself if you don't know where to start um, but then you have to re remember that relationships are probably the, the most poignant 
system of feedback, right, that we get in this life. And so all of our issues are going to get magnified in our relationship. So, you know, if you're confronting something that you don't like constantly, you really need to address that and address it together. Uh, but if you can't respectfully and productively offer feedback to each other, it's going to be really hard to resolve any issues that come up, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times what people will do is they'll just repress or let's say suppress because the difference between the two, just a little tidbit, suppression is more voluntary, whereas repression is involuntary, right? So we, we choose to squash things and, and avoid them and then they build up. So if you think of like every problem is a fire it's like a little tiny fire and then you keep suppressing them and they compound and then somebody explodes and there's some major crisis point later on down the road so when you learn to put out the little fires along the way and there's no damage it's just sort of okay dealt with it moving on and then the next one dealt with it moving on you're adding that competence to your relationship toolkit right like you you get more confident that you can uh, persevere and get through crises together and it really builds resiliency in your relationship if you do that together like a team mm -hmm. so that's how you should see your partner as part of the team and you're both as weak as the weakest link so you want to take accountability and resolve things and be solution focused mm -hmm. yes i get it very powerful it's uh yeah and the difficulty then though perhaps being that one of them wants it more than the other, or perhaps one of them is more aware than the other or more self-aware than the other. So the other, I say the man or the woman just doesn't get it in terms of, look, there's a, an issue here or there's an issue with me or there's an issue with you and there's an issue with us. However, one of them could be completely blinded to that because of their lack of self-awareness and not open to discover that that area that they struggle with, that that area of anger, that area of resentment. So this, again, can be very difficult to negotiate and move beyond. Yeah, and if you have a mindset that everything, good and bad, <laughs> is sort of provided by both parties, right? Like it's not one person's fault or one person's success. Like you're, you're, you're contrib both contributing to the health of the relationship or ill health of the relationship. So you need to always look at it as a twofold system, right? Like what, what am I doing to contribute to this? What am I not doing to contribute to this problem or otherwise, right? And so when you have that framework, it's that we or us systemic framework versus, you know, I, I am always the one that is right. And you are always the one that's not meeting my needs, right? It's a very selfish, immature mentality and so a lot of people do struggle with breaking through that um, entitlement or selfishness like ego um, egocentric way of looking at relationships it's almost like this is my life and you're just here to benefit me you know and if you're not making my life better then i'm mad at you because <laughs> you're not fulfilling my needs mm -hmm. yeah and then when does it get to the point where you walk away from that? Yeah, that's a tough one. And I would definitely qualify that as, are you married? Do you have kids or not, right? So it's different if you're not married, you don't have kids, then 
you're obviously going to put less into the resolution, right? Than than if you are married, have kids, or or both, or both, right? So when the person, this is ultimately it boils down to this: Is your life better without this person? Right? Are you healthier, happier, and more stable without this person in your life? If you can't say that that it would be like you shouldn't give up yet, right? If there's going to be elements that are hard and elements that are, are good, but in totality, you have to look at this person is really like destroying my overall health and happiness. And no matter what I do, it just continues to get worse. And they refuse to take responsibility for their part. Um, and if it gets to that point and you're unmarried, I would say it's better to end it as tactfully and, and gracefully as you can and do some work on yourself to figure out how you got there and what went wrong and kind of debrief yourself and then absorb those lessons and go forward vetting better for a partner that has those skills and can you know mirror back the same equivalence of competence in relationships because you want to look for someone on on par like having that parity of relationship intelligence with someone because you don't want to be dragging someone along throughout your whole relationship um, that's really being attached to the potential of a person which gets everybody in trouble rather than who they are now and where they're going on their own terms yeah that's quite powerful it's yeah i mean just to step away from relationships whenever and there's a lot of guys out there of course who are in a scenario where they're single and looking to mingle and lockdowns are easing and hopefully permanently easing over here anyway and things are opening up and more opportunities of course are opening up with it and these guys who have been locked away in their houses for over a year are coming out and dating again and when it comes to that i think you've, you've touched on a very important point there to meet someone who's on the same wavelength as you instead of trying to be with someone based on their potential, which again, you're, you're basing your relationship completely on hope and, you know, a, a, a imagine an imaginary future, which may not ever happen. So what are the strategies for those guys who are perhaps looking to find a partner in their life? I'm not talking about, you know, a, a one night stand, but someone who they want to share their life with. Absolutely. Uh, my focus is really on my vetting system and teaching people how to think differently. And I sort of steer away from using the terminology about dating because it's so prolific as casual, casually done dating multiple people. So I don't use it as to clarify that the only time I use that term is when you're exclusive and you're in a relationship, right? So your boyfriend, girlfriend, <laughs> and uh, then you're dating, right? But until then, you're vetting, you're getting to know someone or maybe a few people, right? In the early stages, you can be getting to know a couple of people, but then you decide, you know, you want to go forward in committing to this process with someone who has the best potential to work out for you. And I also boil it down to the simple formula and not to be too pedantic about it, but I think it can help sort of solidify the idea in a mimetic kind of way, you know, like, so you can recall the formula is logic plus desire plus love equals an ideal relationship. So it's not this simple, but if you can think about this in a way like it's two thirds feelings based, and this is where people get 
thrown off, right? This is where people get in trouble. Um, the desire is the lust and the chemistry, the sexual charge, and the love is the attachment and all of those affectionate, affectionate feelings that you develop for someone, right? And so people all the time, when they catch feelings, they get attached and they get caught up. They get like addicted to the person. And so the relationship can be completely toxic and unhealthy and volatile. And they're still in it because of all those feelings that they have tied up to the person. So some critics of mine will say that relationships aren't meant to be so logical or, you know, uh, cold and clinical as I sometimes talk about. But I have to sort of preface this with it's only one third of the equation, but it's the one that gets neglected the most. And what is the reason? It's the reason why relationships fail. So this is where you look in order to make sure that your relationship is going to have the best chance of working out. And so if you are vetting someone and you find that you have a really good um, sexual chemistry, you're attracted to each other, it's genuine, and you also have like a really positive, warm feeling of affection. And it's like you're, it's almost like the friendship of the relationship, right? Like it's where you really have an affinity for the person, where you grow attached and fond of them. So some relationships are really high on that, but they're lower on the other things, like let's say the, the desire, right? And so they stay together for a long time. But then when someone is sort of tasked with pulling the trigger, like there's an ultimatum thrown out, it's usually the guy, like he'll realize, well, I'm not, I don't know that I want to marry this woman, but I don't want to break her heart either because I love her. We've been together so long and we've built so much and I don't want to lose her in my life. So they, they're at this crossroads where they decide what to do. And especially before marriage, it's really important to be honest and say, you know, I'm, we're lacking something that I can't, I can't get it. You know, we just don't have it. And maybe you want to look at preventing that position, being in that position, because it's so heart, hurtful for the other person, right? To feel like they're not good enough. Um, and just for you too, like if you're the person who's breaking up with them later on, you're like, I wish I had made this call earlier so that I could save us this whole heartache. But you don't want to compensate in one area with high marks in the other. You have to have a satisfactory level of all three is the point. So make sure you have the shared values and character and relationship parity and all of that stuff that we've talked about so far. So you make sense. The logical component is just that you make sense as, as partners. Um, you're a good team. If you think about it that way, you're just a really good team. You have the right complements and the right similarities. And then you also have good enough sexual chemistry and you love each other. Obviously, that's the easy one to establish. Uh, you just want to make sure you have a secure attachment style. That's something we can talk about too, if you want. Mm, attachment style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a complicated one. <laughs> but what I will say about that is um, a lot of people sort of tend to codependent relationships or conditional relationships, right? And so a healthy, secure attachment style is basically it's residual from our experience in childhood, right? If we had poor parenting with insecure attachment to our parents in the way that they related to each other, then we're going to be playing this out in our adult life with our partner. And it's basically the uh, uh, anxious avoidant 
types where somebody is like emotionally unavailable or they pull away and there's, you know, they have that tendency to be um, a little bit fearful of being open and transparent and loving, right? So that's going to be the more of the insecure, anxious, avoidant type, or sometimes it's the clingy types, right? So that type of neediness is also based on insecure attachment. So those are the extremes of um, attachment being enmeshed and being too needy and then being sort of resistant and avoidant and back and forth, like the hot and cold, mm -hmm. those sorts of things, right? So when someone or when two people in a relationship have secure attachment, they're interdependent. So people talk about um, unconditional love <laughs> in a way that it sort of paints a fantasy of this like all forgiving, uh, all loving kind of idea, which doesn't really exist in adult relationships, right? Like you have to have certain expectations and standards of respect and appropriate behavior in order to maintain a healthy relationship, which is based on that interdependence and secure attachment. But um, it's really unconditional once you maintain those basic levels of understanding. Then it's like you can make mistakes and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna reject you. I'm not gonna throw you away because we go through a tough time. We're going to work through it and we're going to figure it out together because we both have the same approach. Um, and it's not like one person has secure attachment and the other person doesn't. That doesn't work. Mm. And you feel that, that those attachments, it's a matter of that can be somewhat worked on in a relationship or is that something you should work on that before you get into a relationship? If, if, your, uh, if your history was to, if you'd go by your history in terms of dating before, understanding okay why did that break up or why did this not work out before maybe i was too clingy or maybe i was emotionally unavailable again that self-awareness comes in is that a matter of look i've got to work on this uh, before i move into the next relationship or is it a matter of maybe i just need to find someone who who understands me and who gets me and um yeah who perhaps if someone else has the i don't know the the opposite sort of attachment does that make sense that, that the can, two can kind of merge together what's the process there is it focus on you or focusing it together and find someone you can you can merge those attachments with well you should always work on yourself after you leave a relationship give yourself some time it's really not about like an arbitrary duration of time that you need to heal and grieve it's not about that it's literally about you need to detach from the attachment of the relationship, no matter how toxic it or, or not it was. Um, you literally physiologically attach to them. Like there's a chemical change every time we are in love or you're having sex with someone, you know? And so if you don't give yourself that time, you're really bringing in that residual chemical and neurotransmitter reaction response system to the next person. They're just like taking the place of the, the last object in that sense, right? So it can go that deep into our physiology, right? But if you are able to use that time well, then you're going to be examining, you know, what happened and how you can learn to do better, take accountability for the things that you did wrong or Maybe you didn't. Maybe it just wasn't out of your control and things just didn't work out. And that's totally fine. But you should be able to, if you recognize there's a core attachment, 
style coming from you, you can heal that or repair that in other relationships. It doesn't require you to have a romantic sexual relationship in order to do that. So you can practice that with your friends, your family members, uh, but ultimately it is a secure attachment or security in yourself that when you have that healthy self-regulation and um, you know just being a stable person who's well integrated from with your negatives and your positives, then you're bringing your own secure self into the next relationship. And there is a chance to work on it together. Like if you're at different levels of security in your attachment styles, but the more distinct they are, the more like, you know, further away the other person is from being secure, the harder and less likely it's going to be that you can help them with that if they choose not to accept and do the work that it takes, right? So you want it to, it's kind of like with um, intelligence. If, if you've ever heard like, you really want to, to be on par with someone in your intelligence, you can have a couple of points or whatever, like difference, but if you're too far apart, it's just not going to work. It's going to be, you know, incompatible basically. So it's the same thing with attachment styles. Like as long as there's some, you know, it's not too far apart, like you can bring them up in that sense. Like you can help them learn because it is, I mean, intelligence is more fixed, but in regards to attachment, attachment is, is not, it doesn't, it, it, that can change. You can learn that just like emotional intelligence, emotional intelligence is fluid. So you can learn emotional intelligence. You can learn a healthy, secure attachment and you can become a healthy, stable adult um, in your own right. Like you have control over that, but you don't have control over the other person. Yes. I think it's an important point you're making because I feel a lot of men, and I know some men who I work with, some friends even, who just leave one relationship and go straight into the next and don't take that time to reflect on, hang on a second, what's going on here? I mean, uh, I talk a lot, about, a lot about patterns, understanding patterns in your life and how those patterns have evolved from your relationships with with your parents, with your mom, with your dad, with family members when you were younger, then onto friendships and romances as you got older in life. And those patterns have evolved to get you to the point you're at right now. And those patterns, like within those patterns, there's rejections, there's loves, there's romances, there's perhaps disconnections and connections. There's a lot of hurt, resentment, all those kind of things. So all of those experiences obviously have brought you to the point you're at right now. And unless you identify that pattern and understand it for what it is, it's doomed to continue for the rest of your life or into the next relationship. And I had this conversation with a friend of mine a couple of months ago where he had just left a relationship, went straight into the next one. And I told him, like, hang on, just put the brakes on this for a second and understand that you know, you're going into this relationship just after a serious relationship with someone else. Right now, I feel like you need the time just to step back from this and become aware as to why you feel the need to always be with a woman and always be in a relationship. And perhaps a lot of that does come back to maybe a poor attachment with a mother or a father, a poor connection there. And again, always seeking that attachment in your adult life through a woman or a man. 
and you feel empty without it. Yeah, I think that's true. And that's a really good way of, of talking to them about those patterns and, and making sure that you you take take the time and, and accountability to do that. And when you were talking, I was thinking about fitness, because I know there's a lot of fitness on your um, yeah. channel. And I, I'm big into fitness. If, if, if anyone wants to look into me, I was a, like yeah. a national athlete and stuff like that. So definitely important for me. But if you compare it to fitness, it's not like you're going to go straight for the outcome. Like if you want to be able to do pull-ups, you know, or pistol squats, like you can't expect to just succeed at it right off the bat. Like there's a process and you have to figure out like the fundamentals of these things, like in going stepwise, doing the progression so that you understand you're not going to injure yourself, just trying to shoot for whatever goal you're trying to achieve that you need to learn how to implement those um, you know, behaviors on a consistent level and build up the strength in order to have the success that you need at you know, the pull-ups or, or the pistol squats or whatnot, um, or your PR on whatever it is. So if you think about that in regards to relationships, it's like everybody wants the fairy tale, like the happy life and the family and everything. But if you don't do the work to get there, you can't blame anyone else for your failures when you try, you shoot for it, and it's like, <laughs> it doesn't work, it falls flat, it blows up, whatnot. And so then if you just try the next person, and like, you haven't done any work, it's so irresponsible if you think about it that way, right? Like, you're assuming that it's just like a fresh start, so it should work. No, that's not how it works. So making sure that you examine it and take responsibility to build up those competencies and your strength, your emotional strength, your the basic skills like the conflict resolution, communication, um, teamwork, all of those things are needed in order to have a successful, happy life. It doesn't just happen in the blink of an eye. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually one thing he's implemented when I'm thinking of my friend again is that when he got into this new relationship, he laid all of his cards out on the table in terms of, look, this is what I want in this relationship this is what i like these are my fantasies this is who i am and this is what i'm all about and my immediate response was and again it'd be interesting to get your perspective on this is like no you know keep a few cards to yourself until you get further into the relationship and you establish that trust together and then you can give yourself then you can give more of yourself away instead of completely exposing yourself to the point where that could be thrown back in your face very, very easily with somebody that you're not fully immersed with just yet. So yeah, how much of yourself should you give away? And should you give <laughs> everything away? I mean, should you keep always keep a few things to yourself or completely yes. expose yourself? I do think it's, an, it's a process. And the reason why I would put the emphasis on time, people underestimate the utility of time in developing a relationship. And, it, and it's using it the right way, not just letting time pass and you're passive about it. But if you have all these great things, you can't just jump into a relationship. It requires tending to it over time, observing it, um, because every person in relationship is going to be different. So you can't just do everything the same and expect the same result. You have to really learn and understand the person and see the dynamic between you and give it the respect of time in order to establish the proper fundamentals again. It's like, you know, I, we talk about like building a house and setting the, the frame and um, making sure that all those things are in, properly in place and strengthened 
so that you can build up from there. And rushing it is just going to cause cracks and, and misalignments in the structure. So when you're vetting for someone, um, when you're vetting like with someone new, you want to just be mindful of that. I call it pacing, right? So there's some people who advise like no texting in between dates, just like set up the next date and you know, whatever. I don't uh, in encourage that because again, I don't focus on the dating anyway. So in getting to know someone, I find that it, it's good to, to text mindfully. So you have to learn like the skills and how to text. So it's not just, you know, dredging on and on or whatever, but you're really getting to know someone and you're setting up voice chats or like voice calls, video calls, sorry. Um, so you're seeing their face, you're seeing them in their environment. Uh, you get a lot of information that way. So you want to have that opportunity to get to know them in between the physical contact, like when you're going out on a date. But if you're able to pace it so that you're not going out on three or four dates a week, like some people do this and I'm like, this is all wrong because then you're going to like falsely accelerate your feelings, whether it's sexual or whether it's the love part, the attachment. And then, you know, all before you know it, it's four weeks in and like you're about to be exclusive and call each other boyfriend, girlfriend. And, and then it falls apart pretty quickly after that um, if you don't do it properly. So that's why I suggest pacing. And in that process, when you know yourself well enough, you have your must haves, your, your deal breakers and your trade offs. And so the some of those things are really important to be uh, clarified with the person so that you can kind of align on your deal breakers and on your must-haves. And some of this is done directly and some of it is just more like in observation or you're gathering information and you can kind of assess that they're not a right fit for you because there's too many deal breakers on the table. Uh, but those are the things that you want to be more explicit about with your must-haves. And then the things that are like trade-offs are your negotiables, right? So like let's say with women, they're always like height and bank account and physique or whatever. And so those things are, are negotiables, but a lot of women and men too, you, they have this fixation on a type, but it's really a negotiable, not a must have. And people get totally screwed up because they go for the people who have those things that they, that they want that are negotiable trade-offs and they discount the people that don't have them when they don't realize they're not 100% necessary, right? Like you can be in the process of improving your physique or, I mean, you can't improve your height, but you know what I mean? Like there's certain things that don't matter that much that are superficial. And if you have everything else that lines up with your must-haves and deal breakers, is it really that important that those preferences aren't on the table? No. Anyway, I kind of sidetracked from your question, but ultimately the, all these things are in, included in the vetting process. And if you put everything out on the table off the bat, um, it can be distracting and it can communicate insecurity. And so you want to be more mindful of less is more, uh, communicating through action in the beginning versus verbally. And it's also going to really keep the sexual charge alive in the beginning so you can maintain that attraction and this is especially with men I, advising them on that so some men are have a little bit of an insecure attachment style or they're like seeking approval and so when they take women out they're talking too much they're trying to entertain them they're impressing them and so i say pull it back you know like be not casual in a sense like i'm casually dating people but just 
you're more relaxed, you're more yourself, you're more authentic. Um, and you want to have a good time, but you're not putting this person on a pedestal and trying to impress them. You don't need their approval. You just want like the right company spending time doing the things that you enjoy doing and making the most out of it. So that's what I encourage and pulling back a little bit, not sharing too much, keeping the mystery a little bit, and then letting time pass so that you're adding the layers or taking the layers off, I guess, another way, um, bit by bit, and that will help. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's something else I was thinking of there. Um, just as you say, taking the layers off. I think a lot of men, when you were speaking about rushing the dating process, again, uh, that's most likely initiated by men, isn't it? Because they want to, maybe there's this whole idea that on the third date, it's going to happen. You know, and we're talking about sex here and being realistic. Men are fixated on on the, the, the sexual part of the relationship and they'll want it more so than maybe the woman does. Again, you might have your own ideas about this, but so the man, again, it, it's it's that emotional sexual charge that is a big driver for men. And again, this can cause much disruption perhaps in the relationship or maybe it doesn't. So do you have an interpretation of that in terms of, okay, you've got to wait it out for a month before you get to that point. Or again, is it all just very subjective? I think uh, just when you mentioned, you know, three dates a week, that's what came to my mind. It's like, yeah, because he thinks on after the third date that, you know, he's in after that and he's trying to rush that process. And it's like, yes, I mean, that's, you know what I mean? So, and again, yeah. very much fixated as well on the, on, on the physical attraction of the woman. So, and that can yeah. align them to everything else. It, it definitely puts the pressure on if you're going to be seeing someone so many times so frequently that it seems like, you know, it's harder to, to patiently wait for an appropriate time. Things get forced. Uh, but what I say to the women that I work with and just generally my audience is do not start a sexual relationship with someone until, this is for women specifically, until she knows that she's exclusive, like she's choosing him. She's putting all of her eggs in this basket. So that's very clear for women. And it's, it's a you know, stark contrast from the messages that they get from real life. And so a lot of people are resistant to that idea. And they think it's to 1950s or something. I'm like, really, it's not. But um, it's pretty reasonable. And as long as, I mean, some people who are literally, I'll wait for sex till marriage, but if you're okay with premarital sex, then this is what I suggest you do. And this alleviates so many problems for women. So once they start implementing that, it's like, they totally buy in. They're like, this is great. I don't have any of my insecurities. Like I can actually like feel good about myself and things are ending up a lot better. Like I'm attracting better quality men. And even if it doesn't work out, I still feel like we had a healthy short-term relationship and nobody's hurt, which is great, right? So it's just, to me, that's the real sexual health is practicing this intentionally um, for marriage ultimately. But if it, like I said, if it doesn't work out, it becomes a healthy short-term relationship, which you learn from and you f figure out more of like your must-haves, deal breakers and trade-offs that way. But for men, it's a little bit gray. So I don't enforce that my clients stay celibate until um, 
you know, they, they pick a girlfriend or whatever, and that comes to pass. But I do say there's nothing wrong with waiting until you're exclusive. Like, I mean, I, that's totally fine. And I will encourage you to do that if that's right for you. But if you're not sure what, like who to pick or, or what, if you want to be exclusive with that person, you have a little bit more leeway, you have a little bit more time. And this is um, the standard that you should expect from the woman. This is where it gets controversial, that there's a double standard, right? So the double standard exists because of our differences in our sexuality, in our genders. And it's something that's just inarguable. It's there, but people tend to want to you know, play on the same playing field. Um, so for men, if you're the girl that you're seeing is going to make you feel like you have to be exclusive with her before she's willing to open up to you, that's game playing. That's a probably a, a red flag, I would call it, right? So I would do a little bit more digging, like maybe she's just needs a little bit more reassurance. Maybe she needs to know that you genuinely um, are interested in her. Maybe you need to communicate a little bit better. Maybe she's insecure and anxious for other reasons. Uh, and if, if, but if she doesn't come around and sort of let that go and she still tries to control and steer the relationship, I would, I would not pursue that. I would uh, vet her out and wait for a woman who is respectful and can, she has the ability to A, not see other people, not have sex casually when she's single. And she's able to acknowledge that you still need a little bit more time and she's able to be exclusive regardless, right? But you don't want a woman who's like a doormat who's just gonna be like, if you're a good man, you're not gonna be doing that to the woman. So I only work with men who are good ethical men. I don't work with players who are gonna be using people. So you see the difference? Like it's just, it's a, it's a, it usually takes a little bit more time for the man to feel that he can be exclusive because he has more on the line, really, like um, in regards to that, like the relationship aspect is something that he controls. The sexual aspect is something that the woman controls. Mm -hmm. Very good. And it, to accelerate that and, and uh, you know, fast forward to the point where maybe they are in a relationship, a serious relationship or married and that whole dynamic of the relationship breaks down you know, the, the, the sex life has perhaps diminished to a certain point. And again, the man is not getting what he needs. And a big question is what I wanted to ask as well is, or something I feel a lot of guys struggle with is expressing what they want. And a lot of guys struggle with that massively in terms of this is what I want in a relationship. This is what I want the woman. This is what I want in my life because a lot of what they believe they want is not actually what they want. It's what society wants of them. What's what their parents want of them. It's, it's, it's based on perhaps childhood conditioning of well, my dad did this, so I need to do it this way. And it's not true to themselves. And uh, how, like, how do you break through that struggle whenever his needs are not being met perhaps? or whenever he just can't express what he wants because yeah, it's just, it's, it's too far gone for him at, at a certain point. Well, if we go back or up to more of like the meta issue, um, it comes from not knowing how to, and I'm going to choose my words 
intentionally because it's the word that people misuse and the word that it means like an action. So vulnerability, right? People in regards to the, the masculine form of vulnerability, people misunderstand this all the time. Vulnerability is not being a sap. It's not like crying and being emotional and weak. That's not what vulnerability is in this intention. Vulnerability is about transparency. That transparency is very strong. It's very resilient. It's very masculine because you can take what's on the other side of this truth, right? It's actually women that are more insecure when they're weak and they have difficulty being honest because they don't want that level of, of disclosure, right? And so when you're strong, uh, you're going to exhibit and people that you respect that are very strong, they're more transparent. They can take the heat right? And so if you reframe vulnerability as transparency, this is what I'm saying. This is how, how it will help you from the fundamental aspect, communicate what you need, because you're just being honest. You're just being more direct and transparent. And if you practice this consistently, like the way people do the little things is the way they do the big things. So if you see people like lying about the little things or avoiding the little things or I don't know, playing games about the little things, they're going to be doing it about the big things when they come. Because if you can't handle the little stuff, you're not going to handle like the big fires. So you do this over time consistently for, you know, little things that happen that come up or like maybe you have like you feel away about something and you're not sure, uh, you know, whatever her intentions were. Like maybe you, you ask her um, about her relationship history or something like that. And she tends to like, bob and weave and dodge, then, you know, you can be more clear and say, well, you know, honestly, honesty is really important to me. And I want to make sure I understand like what I'm dealing with and who you are and what you're all about and something like that. And I want someone who is X, Y, Z, right? So whatever that is, being able to communicate that is so important from the get-go. And so obviously if you started dating and you're in a relationship, then it could be little things that annoy you, you know, annoyances are so common in relationships. So instead of just being like, <laughs> you, you can call it out in a tactful way, maybe not, you know, when you're in the heat of it, but maybe call them aside later and be like, I wanted to talk to you about something, just something came up earlier. And I was thinking maybe you could knock or make sure I'm not busy when you interrupt me or Maybe they talk too much and they interrupt you and you're like, I really, it bothers me when you interrupt me, just let me finish. And then I'm happy to listen to you too. So these little things need to be confronted. So being transparent about what you need and asking for it, it's totally fine. You just need to get better at it. Excellent. Yeah. Very strong position to be in when you're uh, being honest with yourself. And yeah, uh, Taylor, this has been epic. Thank you so much for your time and for tons of value that's going to help a lot of men and women who listen to this podcast. I hope so. Yeah, big time. I really appreciate it. And if the listeners want to reach out and find you, get in touch with you, where is the best place to get you at? I would say YouTube, which is uh, Dr. Taylor Burroughs is my channel name. And then Twitter and Instagram is at Taylor Burroughs. So they should be able to find me on your, maybe on yeah. your podcast and in the links below, but on your Instagram maybe. And Twitter is probably my most 
popular platform. So I'm very prolific there in my tweets. If you're on Twitter, come find me. Excellent. Go, go check it right? Loads, loads to give. And uh, thank you so much for your time and value today. Talk to you thank soon. You. Yeah, thank you.